Yes, yes. All right. Well, if you've got one of these, please grab your Bible and open it up to the Gospel of John. Uh, John chapter 7. Man, great job, guys, singing. It seemed like a few of you guys might have even been shouting. Wow, powerful. Yeah. Now, uh, my daughter was in the kids' choir. You probably noticed her. She was the cute one in the front, right? Of course she was. All right, that's how we all think of our kids. Well, my daughter, Emma, is six years old, and I know Christmas is only five shopping days away, but she is really excited about this other day she's been talking about for months now. It's her birthday, and it's coming up soon, and she's really just thinking about it, and she's like, Dad, this year, we got to have a party that's pink and orange, she keeps telling me. Like, there's this vision of glory to come, and it's pink and it's orange. How many days is it now to my birthday, Dad? And I'm like, Emma, your birthday's in February. This is December. We've got a long time to go yet, right? But no, it's this party that's coming that she's very excited about. And, and um, can you imagine how terrible it would be as a father if it was my daughter's birthday and I forgot about it? Wouldn't that be terrible? What kind of a message would I be sending to her? If she wakes up, there's no pink, there's no orange, there's no party. We just go along. It's another day, and we forget my daughter's birthday. No significance to your life. And maybe the next year, she's like, all right, well, they blew me off last year, but this year, I'm for sure going to get my pink and orange party. And there's a celebration. There's gifts. She's like, this has got to be it. And it's like, no, Emma, actually, we're not here to give you gifts. In the spirit of giving, we're going to give each other gifts, see? We want to celebrate everybody today, and so everybody gets gifts on your birthday. Now, she's just heartbroken. She's devastated. And the next year comes around, and this year, for sure, on her birthday, this one, we're going to go big. And we tell her there's a big gathering. Our friends and our relatives are coming from all around. There's going to be a massive Christmas gathering. See where I'm going with this? And so we drive off, and now for sure she thinks we'll celebrate her birthday. It's this three-year surprise in the making. And when we get to the party, lo and behold, it's not about her. People are talking about weather. People are talking about sports. People are arguing about what Donald Trump might have said or have not said, and poor Emma is in the corner, forgotten and alone. You see what I'm trying to do here? I mean, it's that time of year. Let's celebrate. And in the season and the spirit of giving, let's give each other gifts and let's get everybody together and we completely forget that the point of Christmas is it's somebody's birthday and his name is Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to be celebrating here. We just cruise right past it. Many people in America do. In fact, it's controversial in this country if you should even say Merry Christmas to people at this time of year. How ridiculous is that? Can we just speak honestly here for a second? Is that not ridiculous? Even Wikipedia knows what Christmas is all about. It's a commemoration of the birth of Jesus Christ. It's a day to remember that he was born and the significance that we believe that carries for everybody's Life. So I hope you won't miss the birthday that's going on on Friday. I hope that when it comes to you and your kids and your family, there will be some acknowledgement. In fact, it would be great if we put him front and center that this is about celebrating the birth of Jesus. Can I get an amen from anybody? That's the way we're going to celebrate it here at church. 
And we're going to celebrate it right now. And we're going to be back here on Thursday night if you want to come back. But I hope you celebrate Jesus somewhere besides church with your family this Christmas. Maybe to read that Christmas story that we heard from Luke 2. Maybe to even sing some songs together as a family. Uh, Turn with me to John chapter 7. That's where we're at. We're going through the gospel of John. If you come to this church, if you're here regularly, you know that we go through verse by verse through one book of the Bible at a time, and we've been working our way through this gospel, and we're in the middle of chapter 7. Not really what anybody would think of as a Christmas passage, but right here in the middle of this chapter, an argument breaks out about where Jesus was born, and there's some controversy here that I think shows even the controversy about Jesus today. So let me read our text, not your traditional Christmas text, but it's about the birth of Jesus. Look at John chapter 7, verse 40, and please follow along with me as I read to verse 52. It says, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. And others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Hmm. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. And Nicodemus who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So the main character of this story really of this passage are these chief priests, sometimes referred to as the scribes, sometimes referred to as the Pharisees. They're the religious leaders of the Jews in the day of Jesus Christ. And they are the ones here in this story who completely miss Jesus because when Jesus is teaching and he's doing miracles and people are responding to him and they're saying, could he be the prophet that was told in the Old Testament? Could he be the Christ, the anointed one who comes from God? Could this be the guy we've all been waiting for? Here come the religious leaders. Of course not. He can't be that guy. He wasn't born in the right place. That's their argument. They have a lot of snobbery here. They have a lot of superiority. These guys are better than other people. This is the way a lot of the world views religious people, like we're judgmental and like we're better than everybody else. That's these guys. In fact, when the crowd doesn't agree with them, they say, this accursed crowd, you don't want to listen. They just look down on all the people believing in Jesus Christ. Nicodemus says something sensible. Hey, maybe we should give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe we should hear what he has to say before we just ride him off. Oh, are you from Galilee too? Like, who are you to listen to this guy? Like, anybody who believes in Jesus and starts following him as the Christ, like, you're just stupid. You're just written off right there at the beginning. Does that sound similar to the way it is in our world today, right? None of the smart people can believe in Jesus. None of the really culturally elite people 
can really believe that Jesus was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. Nobody could believe that. And what's going on here is there's two regions in Israel. There's this northern region, but what we call Galilee. Then there's the southern region that's called Judea. That's where the capital city of Jerusalem is. That's where all these chief priests and scribes and Pharisees hang out, is around the temple there in Jerusalem. And so immediately they write Jesus off just because he's from the northern area of Galilee with his band of fishermen and those lowlifes up there. Surely he can't be the Messiah. The Messiah comes from our territory. The Messiah comes from Bethlehem. Let me ask you guys here at church this morning, what city was Jesus actually born in? It was born in Bethlehem. I mean, these guys are riding Jesus off and they have the wrong information. They're assuming that just because he grew up and came from Galilee that that's where he was born and so they're just throwing him under the bus because he's not one of us from down here in Judea and really no he was born in Bethlehem just a little bit outside of uh, Jerusalem at this little town. That's the town of David. That's exactly where he was born. So we see people missing who Jesus really is and writing him off based on misinformation. That's what a lot of people have about Jesus. And I want to make sure that everybody here this morning, we've got the right information about Jesus. Turn with me to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And I want you to see this prophecy. This is in Micah. It's in the Old Testament. Um, You might have to use the table of contents to find it because it's not a very popular book. Uh, Micah, if you got one of our Bibles, it's page 779. And I want you to see that this guy Micah in the Old Testament, now let's just make sure we all understand how the Bible works. The Bible we view as one book, but really it's an amazing thing because it's 66 different books that are all assembled into one book. Somewhere around 40 different authors written over a time span of 1,500 years or even more than that. And it's all collected and it all goes together in one group. Now we do break the Bible down into an old and a new, what do we call them? The old and new what? Testaments, right? And so we mostly focus on the New Testament because that's when the story of Jesus Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection... But in the Old Testament, which a lot of people today don't dive into as much, what's amazing about the Old Testament is it prophesies, is the word that we like to use, predicts is a way you could say it, calls it before it ever happens. Like the Old Testament tells you a lot about the life of Jesus before he was ever born. So Micah, this guy Micah, he would be a prophet and he was writing around the time of 700 B.C. Okay, now let me just ask you a quick question. Maybe you know the answer. What does B.C. stand for, everybody? What does it stand for? Before Christ. And we're living in the year 2015 A.D. Anybody know what A.D. stands for? Right, a Latin phrase, anno domini, which means the year of our... So before they change it to common era, let's just make sure that everybody here understands that the entire basis of the years of our life is the birth of Jesus Christ. Kind of a big deal, okay, what we're here to talk about. 
And the fact that people today write it off so easily is so tragic and so foolish because this guy Micah, writing 700 years before the time of Jesus, talking about what's going on in Israel in his day and the judgment that God was going to bring on the people for not obeying him in his day, and he just kind of drops a little something in one of his verses. Look at Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and as he's given this prophecy about all that's going to happen, he kind of says this about, about Christmas, a Christmas prophecy. It says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old from ancient of days. So there is going to come from Bethlehem a ruler of Israel who is coming for me. Okay? And and, and there's an amazing statement here that this one who's going to come forth, right, who's going to be born, that's going to be their hometown, is Bethlehem. Well, this one who's going to be born to be a ruler in Bethlehem is actually from of old. So they're born from Beth- in Bethlehem, and they come from Bethlehem, but they're ancient. It's an amazing thing what Mike is saying here. Someone who's ancient, who's old, who's previously, uh, previously existed for all of eternity, is going to come from Bethlehem, who's going to enter the world as a man in the city of Bethlehem. This is a Christmas prophecy 700 years in the making. Is that awesome to anybody else besides me? Am I the only one fired up about this? Is it so like God to just prove who he is by saying, I want to tell you where he's going to be born 700 years before it happens. So if you are ever tempted to doubt about this, well, let me just put a little verse here to blow your brain up, okay? Because I'm going to say it 700 years. Can you imagine someone in the 1200s prophesying about where you would be born? Did they even know about us over here in the 1200s? I mean, how do you pull something like this off? If you believe that this is legitimate, that it was really written in 700 BC, and that it's really about the birth of Jesus, there's no other way to explain something like this. God called it. That's the only way we can explain it. So I'm going to give you guys two reasons to hopefully excite you and encourage you to celebrate Jesus this Christmas. So if you're taking notes, that's, that's our, where we're going today. Two reasons to get excited about putting the focus on Jesus this Christmas season, making sure we don't miss it. And the first reason that we've got that they're arguing about, well, he's got to be born in Bethlehem. Here's the prophecy they're referring to, Micah 5.2. Well, reason number one is we should celebrate Jesus this Christmas because Jesus was celebrating before he was born. I mean, they were already talking about a Messiah, a Christ, an anointed one who was coming from God, and it says he was going to be of the offspring of David, and David was anointed in Bethlehem, David who lived about 1,000 years before Christ. Well, someone's going to come in his lineage. Did you hear how it was read today, right? His lineage, his his descendants, someone's going to come from the line of David, and he's going to be born in Bethlehem, and we're calling it 700 years before Christ. Okay, now here's what we believe about the Old Testament. We believe the Old Testament was pretty much done 
hundreds of years before the New Testament. In fact, there's this time period that we call the intertestamental period between the Old and the New Testaments where there is no revelation that we put in the Bible. And how long is that intertestamental period? Anybody know how long it is? Shout it out if you know. 400 years. Okay? So when I start saying that 700 years before Jesus was born, Micah, by the power of God, prophesied what city he would be born in. The city of David, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, because there were multiple Bethlehems, just to clarify which one we're talking about. The one by Jerusalem. Some people are going to say, I don't really believe that. I have a hard time with that. I think maybe sometime after Jesus was born, maybe, they, they kind of penciled that in. You know, they just inserted that in there to make it seem like they called it 700 years before. Because that just seems crazy to me, and I have a hard time believing it. Well, you're going to have a hard time proving that argument, okay? Because the Scripture was already around at the time of Jesus Christ, and there's these things that give us a good idea of what the Old Testament looked like B.C., before Christ, before they could change anything to add what was going to happen in his life. And it's this archaeological discovery that really kind of helps us out in an amazing way. It's called the Dead Sea Scrolls. Anybody ever heard about these things? Dead Sea Scrolls. Right when everybody's ready to write off the Old Testament, middle of the 1900s. And this is just a preview, really, of our sermon next Sunday. If you come back, we're going to do a sermon called Why the Bible? Why should you and I believe this book? What are the arguments even outside of this book? I think the best reason to believe this book is just by reading it, first-hand encounter with it. It's powerful, but one of the reasons you should believe this book is the prophecies that can be verified outside of this book, okay? And what the Dead Sea Scrolls do, there's these ancient scrolls that are found in caves in Qumran in the nation of Israel. And an archaeologist from all over the world, I'm not talking about Christian people, I'm talking about the top-notch archaeologists of the day, they date most of these scrolls to a time before the life of Jesus Christ. To a time where no one could have changed them later. You see where I'm going with this? If, what if this is true? If this is true, this is surely something worth investigating. That Jesus' birthplace was prophesied 700 years before he was born. That's something to think about. I got, but before I write that off, I need to investigate that and see if it's true. And wait, there's more. Go to Luke chapter 2. Let's look into the traditional Christmas story, so beautifully read by these cute kids for us here this morning, right? And usually we like the part when we get to the shepherds and the angels and glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. But what about the details that sometimes maybe we gloss over on our way to the good stuff? Look at how it starts here in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Time out. Who's Caesar Augustus? Who's this guy? The Roman emperor of the time? Maybe you've heard of the Roman Empire taking over much of the known world at this time. They were the ones ruling over Israel. So you're saying the most important man in the world like the ruler of the majority of space on planet Earth. He says there's a register, registration that needs to happen, a census that's going to take place, and he wants everybody to go to their hometown so they register for this census. So we're talking about the top guy, the jefe grande, the big cheese, okay? 
This guy does something. Now look what that then causes. Verse 2. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, all people going to their hometown, each to his own town, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, and he went down south to Judea to the city of David, which is called, wait for it, what does it say there, my friends? Time out. When when the angel comes to Mary, and the angel tells her that she's going to give birth to the Son of God. She's up in Galilee. Okay? She's up in the northern region. And she's told that she's going to give birth to Jesus, the Savior of the world, and then the most important man on the planet at that time, Caesar Augustus, just so happens to decide that we're going to take a census so everybody needs to go to their hometown, and all of a sudden these two young people in love, Joe and Mary, make their way down to this little city, Bethlehem, because they're of the line of David. What a coincidence that is, huh? No, not only did he call it 700 years beforehand, but then he's showing that he's in control of the most powerful man in the world to get his people where he wants them to be at the right time. Keep reading with me here. It says, they went to the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Maybe you could write there in the side of your Bible. Yeah, the time came. The 700 years of time came. Prophesied in the scripture. We're not talking about a normal pregnancy here. We're talking about the time. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. God, sovereignly in control of the leaders of the world to get his people to Bethlehem to fulfill a 700-year-old prophecy. Go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, probably your favorite passage in all of the Bible because it's a genealogy. Don't you love the genealogies? All these names you can't pronounce, right? Eh, we'll just skip over this. Oh, get down to the birth of Jesus Christ. Why does Matthew start with a genealogy? What is he, why is he listing all of these descendants? Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of, who does it say he's the son of? David. What is Matthew trying to prove? He's trying to prove the prophecies of the Old Testament. Hey, it said he would be of the offspring of David. It said he would be born in the city of David. That's Bethlehem. That's where David got anointed. You know what Bethlehem means? It means house of bread. What a great place for the bread of life to be born, right? And he's born there. Just, I mean, you can write down the great Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel 7, where God promises to David that one of his descendants would become a king who would reign forever. And so why is Matthew giving us how we get from David down to Joseph and Mary? Because he wants to show us, hey, they knew what they were talking about in the Old Testament. This is an amazing thing. God called it hundreds of years before it happened. To go back to David, we're talking about 1000 B.C., God's saying, it's going to come from your line, David. And here's the chart. Here's the history. David, to this person, to this person, to this person. And it just so happens to be Joseph and Mary, both of them in the line of David, both of them happening to go to Bethlehem at the right time. All of a sudden, the genealogy starts to get a little bit interesting, see? And then there's these guys in chapter 2. It says, the visit of the wise men. 
okay? Now read this with me here. The story of the wise men often misunderstood. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, okay, yeah, there it is again, in the days of Herod the king. Too bad those chief priests couldn't have read Matthew chapter 2. Then they would realize how stupid they really were. Can you believe those guys the day they realized how wrong they were? Ah, that guy's not from Bethlehem. He can't be the Messiah. Tough day when those guys meet Jesus because they wrote him off without investigating. But here it says that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Okay? And they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Okay? Now, wise men from the east coming to Jerusalem became we three kings of Orient are. That's the way we traditionally sing it. And when you think Orient, you think East, we mean Far East, right? And somehow we picked on the number that there were three of these wise men. I think it's because there were three gifts that they gave to Jesus, gold and myrrh and frankincense. But we have this picture of the wise men coming from the East. Well, let's just go back to the Old Testament. Maybe there's an answer in the Old Testament to where these wise men come from. And maybe the East isn't the Orient. No, there were people who came from the East and they invaded Jerusalem and they took some of the best and brightest out of Jerusalem and they took them back to their nation of Babylon, a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. You ever heard of this guy? Babylon, definitely to the east of Israel in, in the area of what we might refer to as Iraq today. That, uh, that might be where these guys came from. And one of these guys, we know him if you've studied the Bible, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you might have heard of the name of Daniel. And when he was taken to Babylon, he was brainwashed. They took him to this school in the palace of the king for three years. And guess what they made him in that school? A wise man is what they made him. And in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, he actually throws out a prophecy of the timeline of when Jesus would be born. And it's a complicated prophecy. We can't get into the whole thing because that's a sermon in and of itself. But if you figure out what the weeks of years that Daniel's talking about, basically he's predicting that from the certain time when the people are allowed to go back to Jerusalem till the time when Jesus comes in to be in Jerusalem is going to be a time of 483 years. And it's quite possible that these wise men know this prophecy of Daniel, have studied the prophecy of Daniel, and the reason they show up at Jerusalem at this time is they are tracking the years of Daniel and they now want to come and see who Daniel prophesied about hundreds of years ago in the Old Testament. Is I, am I the only one who's fascinated by this stuff? Are there any other Bible nerds here besides me? I mean, how do you call that? How, I mean, are these guys, if that's true... That they're coming from Babylon following the prophecy of Daniel? That's amazing. And they show up in Jerusalem where surely they know about the king of Jews in Jerusalem, the capital city of the Jewish nation. And they say, hey, where is he? We saw his star. We've come to worship him. Now look at verse 3. When Herod the king, the king of Israel at this time, the king of Jerusalem at this time, when he heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. They didn't want a new king. And assembling the chief priests, the scribes, 
the bad guys, if you will, of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Hey, do you guys know they're saying there's going to be this king, this anointed one that's going to be born. Do you know where he's going to be born? And the chief priests and the scribes know the right answer. They told him, oh, it's in Bethlehem of Judea, not too far from here. For so it is written by the prophet, quoting Micah chapter 5, verse 2, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will, be, who will shepherd my people Israel. So, here come some guys coming from the east, another nation. They're like, hey, we're on, we're on a search for this king of the Jews. You guys know where he is at? Well, Herod's kind of like, whoa there, I'm the king. And then he's like, hey, religious guys, you know where he's at? Oh, yeah, we got it right here, Micah 5.2, Bethlehem. That's where he's going to be. And after this conversation, the wise men go to see Jesus, and nobody else goes. I mean, do you realize what happens? They know the answer. Yeah, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Well, here are guys showing up saying, we think now's the time. We're looking for, oh, yeah, it'll be Bethlehem. And the wise men go and look for the baby Jesus while the religious leaders of the day completely miss the point and don't even go looking for him. How ironic is that? Here's some foreigners coming through. They're in search for the king of the Jews, but the God's own people aren't even interested. They're fine with how it is, with the status quo. Don't rock the boat. Let's just keep it how it is. See? I mean, that right there, you have the first in a long line of people who completely miss the point of Jesus, the point of Christmas, that the one who's been prophesied for hundreds of years has now been born in Bethlehem, and we should all run and behold, oh, come let us adore him. But now, nah, yeah, I know, I know that's true, but I'm not really doing anything to seek it out or to celebrate and if this is real, what we're talking about, and I want to say to you that this is the truth, that before it ever happened, God predicted, he prophesied, his son was going to be born, then we should all worship God for doing what he's done here. How could he, how could he know the future before it happens? He must be God, and he deserves our worship. I hope that you won't miss out on the story. These are just some of the famous passages about the Christmas story and what an amazing story it is. Now go back to John chapter 7, okay? Because the, the chief priests, the guys who are just better than Jesus and he can't be the Messiah because he comes from Galilee and we know the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. Now maybe if they had bothered to run down there to Bethlehem and see like the wise men did, maybe they would have met Joseph and Mary and they would have found out that Jesus was born there. But no, they did not seek it out. They did not get the information and so they are ignorant and so they just hate on Jesus. And they send people to seize Jesus to arrest him, but the officers come back to them without Jesus. Look at verse 45. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? Hey, we sent you to arrest Jesus. You didn't pick him up. There's no handcuffs. He's not here. What's going on? And the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. Like, hey, we went to him, we were going to arrest him, but we did something before we just made up our mind about what we thought about Jesus based on what somebody else said about him. We actually stopped, and we actually listened, and we actually gave Jesus a chance to speak for himself, and we found out that nobody speaks like this man right here. No one's ever taught like this. No one's ever spoken with this level of authority. No one's ever given us this kind of wisdom and insight. No one has ever exposed the secrets of our own hearts like this man right here. No one. 
speaks like him, which was offensive, I'm sure, to the chief priests and Pharisees who probably thought they were pretty good speakers themselves. We live in a world where we have to debate about the debate as to who won the debate and did anybody even say anything that made sense in the debate and maybe we should fact check and oh yeah, it turns out they're all lying to us, right? That's the kind of world that we live in. We live in a soundbite world. Does anybody have anything good to say? Who's going to win the debate? Let me just tell you, we need, if Jesus was speaking these days, no one would have a debate that Jesus won. No one has ever spoke like Jesus did. And the men who are sent to arrest him say, we couldn't bring him back. Look at this guy. Nobody speaks like him. And I wonder how many people that you and I know and love who don't believe in Jesus, who have decided to live their life not like Jesus is Lord and they need to obey him, not like they're in sin and they need Jesus to save them from their sin. No, they've decided to live life how they want. I wonder how many of our loved ones have a firsthand experience of Jesus Christ. See, I know some of us, we're going to go into Christmas and it's going to feel kind of like a war zone and we're going to be like, oh, here I go to Christmas dinner to get persecuted because my family's all going to hate on me because I'm going to want to talk about Jesus and they don't care, those pagans. And so I'm going to go in there and I'm going to get persecuted, right? And before we start throwing our family, our loved ones under the bus, let's just, when did they read the Bible for themselves? When did they come to a church like this? And hear the word of God preached. Before we start throwing the crowd out like the chief priests and Pharisees did, let's ask ourselves, do the people we love, do our neighbors, do our co-workers, have they had the privilege that you and I have had to learn straight from the words of Jesus himself? I find that so many people these days, right now in America, they have second-hand information about Jesus. Hey, where'd you hear about Jesus? Well, when I was in high school, my history teacher told me a lot about Jesus Christ. He didn't really like him. He expressed some very skeptical views about Jesus. Well, where did you hear about Jesus? Well, actually, I watched this stuff on the History Channel one time, and it told me a lot about Jesus Christ, right? I mean, a lot of people, they're getting their information about Jesus from people who are completely missing the point of Jesus, and therefore they're getting misinformation, and it's going to mislead them straight to hell, my friends. So before we write the world off, oh, what do they know? No, let's consider, how have they been able to hear Jesus speak? When was their firsthand experience? Everybody needs an introduction to Jesus Christ. Of course people don't believe in him. They need to be introduced to him. Who's going to introduce your loved ones to Jesus Christ? This is how we started the Gospel of John. Does anybody remember this? Very simple phrase. We kept saying over and over, come and see. Anybody remember us talking about that? Hey, let's just keep it simple here at this church. Let's just try to do one thing. Let's try to give everybody that we know and love a first-hand introduction to Jesus. Where we try to get them to read the Gospel of John. We try to get them to come to church and hear the Gospel of John preached. Of course people don't believe in him. They haven't been properly introduced. Let's go properly introduce people to Jesus Christ here at this church. How are we doing on that? I mean, are you regularly actively praying and searching for opportunities to give more people a first-hand interaction with Jesus Christ? I mean, are you going to go to Christmas gatherings that are gatherings of your family where no one there is going to talk about Jesus Christ and we're just going to act like Christmas is about something else other than Jesus entirely? 
Are are we going to just do the giving and the thanksgiving, the friends and the family, or is somebody in here going to say, and the incarnation people? I mean, who's going to be bold? I mean, our, our Savior's name is in the name of the day. Why would we choose to be silent on that day of all days? See, We should be bold. We should be speaking up. And we should start saying to people that I want you to hear from me. I know you don't believe, and I know you hate it when I bring it up, and I know you think religion is all just fake. Well, have you ever actually heard Jesus out for yourself? I'm not talking about what people say about Jesus. I'm talking about have you ever read the Bible of Jesus? I'll have much more respect for a skeptic or a hater who's actually done some investigation into the source material on Jesus than people who have just written him off without really considering him. And I'm not going to let anybody that I love, that I know, keep living their life without saying to them, I think you should investigate Jesus and hear from him yourself. You need a firsthand experience. Now, go to Luke chapter 20, and I, I just want you to see that what happened in the day of Jesus here was eventually the Pharisees got tired of this. Luke chapter 20, just a few pages over here, in another gospel. Now, this picture we get in our text in John 7 is fascinating because it's like we're let inside the bad guy's room, basically. Here's the chief priests, the Pharisees, and and John gives us a glimpse to what they're talking about amongst themselves, okay? And I think the way that John got that information was his source was Nicodemus, who told him later about this conversation. So John actually tells us what the Pharisees were thinking in their kind of controversy and war with Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of the other Gospels, the way they tell us about the chief priests and the Pharisees is when they come to challenge Jesus, okay? Eventually, when, the, when you send men to arrest Jesus and they come back with no Jesus, eventually you have to go and get Jesus yourself. And that's what the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they start to go and challenge Jesus. It's like they sit in their little cave or their little dark room and they say, okay, how are we going to stump Jesus? It was like the first reality TV show that was ever created was Stump Jesus. Okay, let's ask him a question he can't answer, a question there is no answer to. Let's trap him. Let's, let's get him in a, in a play on words and let's let everybody see what a fool he really is and we'll show him we're the smart guys around here. <laughs> they cackle, right? And so one after a time, a scribe, a chief priest, they would come and they would try to stump Jesus. Episode after episode, they would ask him questions. And you can read about it throughout Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Here in Luke, they're like, I got him. Let's ask him about about giving taxes to Caesar. And if he says anything bad about Caesar, that'll be insubordination. And then we can turn the Romans against him. And then he'll be some kind of revolutionary we can come down on. So let's stump him with the taxes to Caesar question. And Jesus throws out the answer in verse 25 of Luke 20. Hey, why don't you render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God? And here they they are, yeah, let's go stump Jesus. And then he throws that at, and they're like, oh, silenced. He silences the skeptics time after time. Every hater, shut up. And look what it says here. This is the verse I want you to see. Luke 20, verse 26. And they were not able, the smart people, the liberal elite of the day, they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling in awe at his answer, they became silent. See? 
How many people have we heard the story that they went into this book because they wanted to prove once and for all that the Bible was wrong and it was filled with contradictions and they're so tired of religious people like us believing in that nonsense of Christmas that I'm going to be the guy to go into the Bible and I'm going to study the Bible and I'm going to disprove it once and for all. What happened to a lot of those people that went to do that? Anybody know what happened to them? They started worshiping Jesus as the one way of salvation. That's what happened to them. I mean, you hear that testimony, stick around church long enough, you hear that testimony over and over and over, that the skeptic who actually started to engage personally with the source material became a believer in Jesus Christ. See, And you hear people say, oh, well, the Bible is full of contradictions. Have you heard somebody say that before to you? Well, the Bible's full of contradictions. I just like to say one thing. I, whenever somebody says that to me, and I've heard it a lot, my friends, I smile. First thing I always do is I smile and I say, really? And I, if I have a Bible, I hand it and I really enjoy that. But if I don't, I just smile and I say, just tell me one. Like, can you just show me one of them right now? Well, there's websites full of them. Yeah, yeah, I've heard about the websites. Can you just show me one contradiction in this book right now? Not too many people grab the Bible and open it up and show me a contradiction. In fact, usually they kind of end up uh, uh, backtrack, backtrack, rewind, uh, right? They don't know what they're talking about. Well, I heard there's a website out there that completely dis... Like, like the internet is a great source of information. I've heard there's a website out there that completely exposes the Bible with all its contradictions. Have you ever checked those websites out? There's actually websites that go through every one of those contradictions and show how they're not really contradictions at all. Sorry, and eh, fail, right? Stump Jesus, ah, actually, no, booyah, Jesus wins. Again, again, we're still playing this show, right? One day they had him. They had him this time for sure. We're going to ask him, what's the greatest commandment out of all the commandments? Ha, how could you pick one of the commandments above the others? Oh, busted him. Can't wait for this one. Hey, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus comes back with, well, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And hey, let me tell you the second one too, because it's like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Boo, y'all. <laughs> Silence. They've been trying to shut Jesus down since he was here, and they haven't done it yet. No one speaks like Jesus Christ. Okay? And there is power in the words of Jesus, the words of eternal life. Do not give up on your loved ones. Give them a firsthand encounter with Christ, maybe even this Christmas. If you're a part of a Christmas gathering, I think you should make it very awkward and you should read the Christmas story even if people don't want to hear it. That's what I think, okay? I think they need to hear it. I think there's no other way for them to be saved but to hear the story of Jesus Christ. So start bartering with your family members now. We will eat your disgusting meatloaf. We will, we will take the fruitcake off of your hands. We will do whatever it is that you want to do to celebrate Christmas. We just make one, one humble request. Will you come to my church on Christmas Eve? Then we'll go do whatever you want to do. Talk about what you want to talk about. But how about you come with me 5 o'clock this Thursday night to church? That's, and then we'll do whatever you guys want. I'll bring big gifts and I give good gifts, right? I mean, right? Can you barter with your family? Would that work on anybody's family? See, what, what a lot of people have not done they have not sat down and they have not read the Bible and, and just tried to take it for what it is and considered it. 
It's amazing to me how many people already know all about the Bible and they haven't really investigated it for themselves. Now I can see that if I handed somebody on the streets today a book that's 66 books over two testaments written over thousands of years by 40 different authors or so, I can see how that might be a little much to handle for our our reading capacity these days in America, right? So what we do, and I love that the publisher of the English Standard Version, Crossway, I love that they just print a little version of just the Gospel of John. Have you seen one of those around this church? Where it's just this little thin paperback, just the Gospel of John. And what if for Christmas we started buying people just this little Gospel of John, and along with our gift, I'm not saying this should be the only gift that you give to somebody, but what if you just kind of snuck it in the wrapping paper, or you put it in the card, and you wrote something like, hey, all I really want from you this Christmas is to read the Gospel of John. I know you hate it, but if you love me, you'll do this for me. Smiley face, XOXO, Merry Christmas, right? I think you have some relatives that just might fall for something like that, right? I think you've got some people that you know that if you really tried to, you could use the leverage of your relationship and love for them to strongly urge them, to beg with them, to plead with them, to read this book and give it a chance. Let Jesus speak for himself. And to buy one of these little Gospels of John is only $1.97, And I went on the website, and I was trying to figure out how we could do this. And uh, unfortunately, at this point, uh, to get it there by Christmas, you got to do two-day shipping, and that's $23.25 for a little $1.97 book, $23 of shipping. So fortunately, if we have any left after the first service, we've got a whole box of Gospel of John's out there that you can grab, if you're, and you can take them for free here if you're going to give them to a loved one and try to get them to interact with a firsthand account of the life of Jesus Christ. Go back to John chapter 7 with me and, and look at what Nicodemus says. See if his words don't make sense. See if this is a kind of logic. It may not work on everyone, but clearly a kind of logic that we could try try with everyone that, hey, shouldn't you at least listen to Jesus? Shouldn't you at least hear Jesus out before you write him off? Look at what it says here in verse 50. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, more on that in a minute, and who was one of them, a ruler of Israel, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And then they say, hey, are you from Galilee? Blah, 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 blah. And, they, and they write him off. And they reject him. But I think the logic that Nicodemus presents there is, is something that you and I can use with our loved ones this Christmas. Hey, if you're going to say you don't believe in Jesus, don't you think you should at least give him the benefit of the doubt of hearing him out? I mean, even in the courts here in America, right, isn't someone innocent until they are proven guilty? Shouldn't we at least hear the case for Christ before we just go ahead and just say, dismiss it and say we're not interested? I want to strongly encourage you to be bold with that kind of reasoning with your loved ones to invite them to Christmas Eve service on Thursday night where we're going to preach that Jesus is the light of the world. And whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I mean, that's a first-hand encounter with the words and claims of Jesus Christ himself. 
Or maybe you could read the Christmas story to them. Maybe you could try to get them to read the Gospel of John and talk it through with them. But this is our time. This is our season. We need to make sure that we keep the focus on Christ this Christmas. Now, the great thing about Nicodemus is he actually had the integrity to do what he suggests here. Go back to John chapter 3. Everybody, turn back there with me in case you missed it when we talked about it. Earlier in the Gospel of John, it was our night that we did on a Wednesday night, Jesus Saves. And we looked at how Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to Jesus. And he came by night maybe because he didn't want everybody to know that he was actually talking to Jesus or investigating. Maybe he was so proud and so superior that he didn't want people to think that he was actually interested in Jesus. But he did investigate Jesus. Read about about it with me. John chapter 3 verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know you are a teacher from God. There's something going on with you, Jesus. I can't deny it. The miracles, the teachings. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So here's a man who's a religious leader, a proud man involved in a a group of corrupt leaders. And he humbles himself to the point of, I'm going to go and find out what this Jesus guy is all about. Let's all be praying that our loved ones will do that at Christmas. This time of year. And, and Jesus says to him something that shocks Nicodemus. Something that changes his life forever. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In one statement, Jesus turns Nicodemus' world and he flips it upside down. And he says, Nicodemus, you're doing it all wrong. You're trying to get it all right on the outside and you need a whole new life. You need to be born again. Or another way you could say it is born from above. You need a new life inside of you, Nicodemus. You can be as good of a person as you want on the outside. You can be goody two-shoes, but it won't save you from your sin. You need a new life. You need to be born again. And Nicodemus who is a man who studied the scriptures, who is a leader of God's people, he doesn't understand it. He can't get it. And and you can see by his response here, the confusion Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Which I think is a way to say, how could I change my life now when I'm so set in my ways? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus, from there, begins to explain to him what it means to be born again. It means to be born of water and the Spirit. Jesus is referring to Ezekiel 36, which he expects Nicodemus to know. That you get cleansed from your sin. Not like you're trying to clean up your act on the outside. No, you get cleansed from your sin on the inside. And the Spirit of the living God comes to indwell you like rivers of living water flowing out of your heart and you have this rebirth, we call it regeneration or salvation where you get a new life inside of you. That's what Nicodemus needs. That's what every single person needs. And here's Jesus from his own words saying that to him and Nicodemus' response. Look down at verse 9. Nicodemus, he's blown away. He doesn't know what to think. How can these things be, he says. And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? 
And you're supposed to be leading the people of God and you don't even know what I'm talking about? And eventually Jesus says something that's been spread around pretty good. Maybe you've heard it before. Great Christmas passage. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the Christians. Is that what it says right there? God so loved the people who already believe. Is that what it says right there? Who did God love, everybody? Hey, is it Merry Christmas to all, or is it just Merry Christmas for those of us who believe in Christmas? See, it's Merry Christmas for all people. It's good news of great joy for all people. And the problem with our nation right now in the day and age that you and I are alive is people aren't hearing the good news. The Christian people are keeping it to themselves out of fear of what the world might think of us when they're the people that God loves so much to send his son for, see? Sinners like us. Everybody here, at some point in your life, you didn't believe in Jesus. Can I get an amen on that from anybody? And then what did you have? A first-hand experience with Jesus Christ. Nobody ever gets saved by a second-hand experience. you got to interact with Jesus on your own. you got to hear his own words. And man, when Jesus makes you born again, this is what we should get so excited about. When Jesus makes you born again, your life is brand new from that point on. You're no longer yourself. In fact, we look at your life like you had an old life, but then you became a new creation in Christ. And behold, the old has gone and the new has come. Does that happen to anybody in this room right now? Where there was an old way that you used to live, and then you had that first-hand encounter with Christ, and boom, you're living a new way. It's like you got born again. And the reason that we celebrate Christmas this time every year, it's because the birth of Jesus is the only way that anybody here will ever have been born again. Let's get that down for point number two. We celebrate Christ because His birthday makes your birthday possible. The birth is just the beginning. The baby in the manger is just the start of the good news, the great story that he would live. And here's why he had to be born as a baby and why he didn't die till he was a man 33 years old is because he had to that entire time live a perfect life. That was the point of Jesus Christ's life. He didn't just come down from heaven, die one day, and then go right back up. No, for 33 years, he lived as a man, and he encountered all of the same temptations and all of the same challenges and trials and tribulations that we all do in life, that temptation to talk back to your parents, that temptation to lie, that temptation to just make yourself look a little better than the facts actually are, and he endured every temptation without sin. And he lived a righteous life. See, there's a standard of holiness that God has. See, God doesn't care about people being good. That's, that's what we say. But the Bible says, no, no one's good. And what it means by that is no one is perfect. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God except for one man who ever lived. And that's why we celebrate his birthday because he lived a perfect life. And he wants to have a gift exchange with you. If you're not saved, Jesus wants to have a gift exchange with you this Christmas. And here's what he offers you. 100% righteousness is what he wants to give you. He wants to give you his perfect record. He wants when you stand before God, for God to not see you in your sin, he wants God to see you 100% holy and righteous like his own son, Jesus Christ. And here's what Jesus wants in exchange. 
at this little white elephant gift exchange that Jesus is setting up. He's ready to give you 100% righteousness. That's a gift worth stealing. Here's what he wants from you, your sin. That's what you got to give to him. I mean, how is that not the best news that anybody's ever heard? Wait, you're telling me that if I just confess my sin and admit to Jesus Christ that I've fallen short of God's standard for my life, and if I'm willing to leave that sin behind, and I come and ask Jesus for a new life, he will take and pay for my sin on that cross. He will have paid for it in full, and he will give me 100% his righteousness. That's the gift that Jesus wants to give me. That's exactly what we're saying here. Is that good news to anybody here at this church? I mean, that's a trade worth doing right there. That's a gift exchange worth being at. That's what Jesus is offering. He's saying, I, the life that you were born into is not going to work for you. You were born into this world one way. You need to leave this world a different way. You need to be born again. You need to get righteousness on your account and not sin on your account before God. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and you'll see here a passage that I think really describes this well. That there are all kinds of people that are here at this church and we talked about this tonight, if you, if you were here the night that we started a, our Jesus Saves series, we got really into this, that I, I know people at this church that are all kinds of different people. At least in their old life, they would have labeled themselves all kinds of different ways. I've had people tell me at this church that they used to be addicted to drugs, and that's how they would define their old lifestyle was a drug lifestyle. That's what it was about. I had people tell me that before they met Christ, they were alcoholics. That's Drinking was really their, their, their lifestyle, their course. We have people at this church who were criminals at one time in their life. We have people who identified themselves as homosexuals who attend this church. And now what they say, universally, no matter what kind of person they were before, and maybe the worst of them all is the person who's like, yeah, I was one of the good people. I was the church person. And I was the one looking down on all you drunken druggies, and I was thinking I was so much better than you. That's what I was thinking. That's my old life. And now they would say, it's like I have a new life. It's like I've been born again because that sin no longer defines me anymore. Jesus Christ now defines my life. And you see that here in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, after it lists all kinds of different sins that defines people's lifestyle, it says in verse 11, and such were some of you, all of us were born into sin. Doesn't matter what sin it was, we were all born that way, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, declared 100% righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Man, because Jesus was born on Christmas, you can be born again that's the good news we've got to offer the world and I hope that when the time comes you will not just do what the world's doing and try to blend in and try to be PC and try to just move past Christmas without creating any controversy without raising any ruckus let's just keep it friendly with the family as we all kind of ignore the reality that this is supposed to be about Jesus Christ I hope you'll be one of the people who's so bold that you will be a re-gifter this Christmas okay a re-gifter. We've all been given the greatest gift. There is nothing that we could give our loved ones that is better than the good news of Jesus Christ that they can be born again. Anybody with me on that? Okay, well, let's go give it to people. 
Let's leave here today and let's start a whole new gift list. Yeah, maybe we figured out, and I hope at this point, because you only got five shopping days left, my friends, and Bellaterra is crazy. I hope that at this point you have some kind of gift list, some kind of strategy, some kind of Amazon wish list of what you're getting everybody. Hopefully you hit click on that a while ago, right? Maybe we need to do a new gift list as we get ready for Christmas. How are all my loved ones going to get a firsthand experience with Jesus this Christmas? How can I take it to them? Man, won't it be tragic if people you and I love, people that are our family, people that we celebrate these special times of the year with, wouldn't it be sad for them to someday meet Jesus and never have had a first-hand encounter with him before that because we were afraid to be bold enough at Christmas and speak up in, in the name of Jesus. And I hope that this Christmas we will go tell it on a mountain the good news that there has been born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for this passage, not a Christmas passage of what we would think, but here we see people arguing about where Jesus was born and the truth is they don't know the truth and they're just basing it on where he came from or what they think about him or what they heard somebody else said about him and they don't get into the source material of the scriptures. They don't let Jesus speak for himself. Such a massive controversy could have been cleared up with just the simple idea that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, just like you prophesied about 700 years beforehand through Micah, through when you spoke to David a thousand years beforehand, causing Caesar to go and make that census so that those two descendants of David, Joseph and Mary, as she was great with child, would be in Bethlehem when the time had come. God, we worship you for the miracle that is Christmas, for the sovereignty that you show in having your son born at that place in that time. And God, it's tragic to us that people we know are going to miss Jesus celebrating him this Christmas, and they're not even going to give him the benefit of the doubt to hear him out or, or or to learn from him or to see what he has to say. God, use us to be the messengers this Christmas to take this good news to our loved ones, And God, we pray that people will come to this church on Thursday night. We pray that people will read these Gospel of John's. We pray that people will read the Christmas story together as they celebrate Christmas. And that people will come to see that Jesus really is their Savior, their Lord, that he is the God who was born as a man. And we give him the glory. And we say that there is no other name but Jesus by which we can be saved. And we pray this according to his name. Amen.